This episode was previously recorded and broadcast to a live audience and has not been edited for content. Please excuse any references to slides and Q&A. Thank you for joining us. Welcome, everyone. This is one of those CLEs that I wish we were in person so I could say to everyone, raise your hand if you're on here to get ethics credit. Hello. Okay, let's get started with this program about the BAR's new professional development office to expand resources for licensees. I want to make sure I got the name right. The Utah State BAR's new professional development office. We have presenting Scotty Hill, who is going to be the director of this office. Right, Scotty? Matt Page, who does some tech and marketing, right, Matt, for the bar? And Diane Akiyama, who is uh, one of the attorneys in the Office of Professional Conduct. Yes. So I'm going to start this off by turning it over to Scotty to begin the presentation. Thank you. Thank you so much, Lori, and to everyone for joining us today. I am going to share my screen. So bear with me for just one moment while I pull that up. Okay. So as Lori mentioned, my name is Scotty Hill, and my new title is Ethics Counsel and Director of the Professional Development Office at the Utah State Bar. Um, I'm very excited to have this role of ethics counsel. This is a new position that was created within the bar by title only. Essentially, I have been overseeing the Utah State Bar's ethics hotline for three years, and now we're making it official, as well as launching this exciting new initiative of the Professional Development Office, which I will talk about here in a bit, give you some specifics. And a number of jurisdictions actually have designated ethics council positions within their state bar management. So this is an exciting development. We'll also be hearing from Matt Page, our communications director. He will show you the practice portal and some of the changes that we have recently made with our brand new website. And as Lori also indicated, we'll be hearing from Diane Akiyama, who is Assistant Disciplinary Counsel in the Office of Professional Conduct. She will be speaking about some of the distinctions between what OPC does and what the Utah State Bar does, as well as the Consumer Assistance Program and some of the ethics offerings that they have in OPC that many of you have likely attended in the past. Okay, so an exciting development that the Utah State Bar has recently launched is a brand new website. For those of you who have attempted to navigate our website in the past, what we suffered from was a lack of clarity, perhaps too much information, and we really do have a lot to offer. So what we have now done with this brand new website is to make systems a little bit more navigable. And one of the things that I'm extremely excited about as it relates to my role is the professional development office. Now it is a one woman office. What this is, is the result of my research and investigation and scouring of various jurisdictions offerings. And I was really heartened and excited to see how many websites and how many offices of this kind or ventures of this kind existed in a variety of jurisdictions, Nevada being one, 
that is close to home and has this incredible resource. And, and what it is, is kind of a wide ranging hub of information and tactical resources. Because as we all know, in law school, they don't teach you how to run a law practice or a firm as a business. They teach you how to think like a lawyer and to read dense case law. So the incentive here was to say, are there ways that the bar can help people navigate from sort of a cradle to the grave perspective of your legal career, how you start a legal practice, how you navigate some of those issues with risk mitigation and ethical compliance? Can we give you some checklists and some guides and an overview of things that maybe you just don't have the time to scour the internet for? Maybe you don't have the time to just figure all of this out. So this is one way that we're really showing you where your bar dues are going and we can provide a, a bit of a service for you in, in these issues. One of the things that I'm particularly excited about is the succession planning resources that we've been working on here. This is a collaboration with other bar committees. The Wellbeing Committee is a great partner in this initiative. We did a collaborative and extensive CLE last year at this time on succession planning. And really, you don't have to be near the end of your legal career or your life to be thinking about succession planning. What we really want to hammer home here is designating a successor for your legal practice. What does a succession plan look like to designate that individual to take your cases in the event that a catastrophic event happens to you, which can include an illness. It can include your death. It can also include a natural disaster that befalls your law practice or a cyber attack. Having a contingency plan is extremely important. In fact, some jurisdictions require under their ethics rules for attorneys to actually designate somebody to assist them in the event of an event like this. And so these are all considerations that you perhaps have been thinking about in the back of your mind or haven't been thinking about, but we're really fortunate to kind of be in a position to step in and help you before it gets to that point to hedge your bets and put yourself in the best position necessary um, to protect you, your assets and your clients. So a critical component of that is ethics. I oversee the ethics hotline and I wanted to share some information about what that is. Um, the ethics hotline is also a revamped component of this new website. There's a designated ethics portion of the website distinct from the professional development side that I just encountered or just um, discussed that you can encounter in different portions of the website. But the bar's new ethics page has a number of resources. The first is a frequently asked ethics questions component that I began working on during the pandemic and added to uh, sequentially over the ensuing months. We also link to the rules of professional conduct, which are hosted by the Utah courts. And we have an archive of Utah bar ethics advisory opinions. So the ethics hotline has some ground rules, and I want to discuss those here. The ethics hotline advises only the inquiring lawyer or licensed paralegal practitioner, their own prospective conduct. 
the ethics hotline cannot address past conduct that has already occurred by the time the question has been posed to us. We can't address questions of law or procedure outside of the rules of professional conduct, nor can we provide an explicit directive about which direction you should go in. The way that I think of this service is an issue spotting brainstorming session to say, here is what I'm hearing based on the facts. Here are the issues within the rules, the specific rules that may be implicated here. And it's really a way of framing the analysis in order to assist the practitioner in making the most informed decision. Another rule is that the ethics hotline cannot convey advice through a paralegal or legal assistant. All of the submissions to the ethics hotline are strictly confidential. They are not relayed to Diane's office and the Office of Professional Conduct. It's a safe space for you to reach out via email or telephone with your questions during any working day. So you can email us at ethicshotline at utahbar.org. Traditionally, this was the primary method for getting in touch with us, but we're now working on an actual phone hotline component for you to send in those questions that way as well. Our advice is non-binding. It's intended to be informational only. And because of high volume at times, please allow us 24 to 48 hours to get back to you. And if you give us a call and it's one of those questions that really we have to let marinate, that happens, then I may do a little bit of research and email you back or call you back with resources that I attach in an email, such as ABA or local ethics advisory opinions, hyperlinks, and it's something that may take a little bit more time to get back to you if it necessitates that turnaround. And of course, I will let you know if that's the case. So this is actually something that I talk to the incoming new lawyer class about. Why is it useful to reach out to the ethics hotline? A lot of folks do, and a lot of folks love having that resource, whereas others hardly reach out at all or aren't aware of this service. So a few reasons in my mind why it's beneficial to reach out. It's probably felt like a while since you took the professional responsibility exam and your legal ethics course. At SJ Quinney, we called it legal professions. And I was extremely fortunate to take that from the wonderful Professor Richards, where I got a wonderful framework of the ethics rules and got to see them in practice with some of the most entertaining hypotheticals in all of law school. Um, but I think being tested on the rules of professional conduct is different than seeing them in practice. I think for many practitioners out there, you can intuitively understand this as a concept. Learning about the federal rules of evidence or civil procedure is one thing, but actually using them in practice and with great regularity makes you learn them and really digest them in a way that you wouldn't otherwise. And because I have my hands in the ethics rules every day, there's some nuances that are really helpful to discuss that I can speak with you about relatively quickly um, compared to having you puzzle over the rule um, and take time out of your day that perhaps you don't have. The ethics rules are designed to help the public, but they can also be a valuable tool to protect you as a practitioner. 
Knowing what's ethically permissible helps you set very clear boundaries within your practice and with your clients and to determine when it may be of best interest to terminate this relationship to save yourself from ethical uh, issues. Some ethics rules are very obvious. We all have an intuitive idea of not starting relations with your client after the representation has commenced, for example, while others can be nuanced and complicated. Conflicts of interests, for example, are tricky at times, imputation issues. Uh, these things are very helpful to talk through. So if you're not sure if the proposed course of conduct is permissible, it's always better to check first. It's always better to check in and get a better idea of what you're dealing with. Sometimes you may not have the time to wade through all of the research and you likely can't bill for that time. So give me a call and we can talk through it. Lastly, the rules of professional conduct, especially in Utah and our infrastructure of regulatory reform, are amended regularly, and the new ethics advisory opinions may bring novel insights into reoccurring issues. So many reasons why it's incumbent upon you to reach out and take just a few moments of your day to talk to me about your ethics questions. One other thing I wanted to emphasize is the difference between the ethics hotline and the Ethics Advisory Opinion Committee. Now, there is some confusion on this at times where I am asked to proffer a formal written ethics opinion, which is a service that the Ethics Hotline does not provide. The way that I like to think about it is that the Ethics Hotline and my role as Ethics Counsel is that of a preventative care doctor. We can do the yearly checkup, we can make sure that you're on the right track, so that you do not get a bar complaint filed against you and you don't hear from OPC. This is a more immediate service. Again, 24 to 48 hours is a pretty quick turnaround for immediate insights that you may have during the working day. And the Ethics Advisory Opinion Committee is different because this committee, which is a volunteer bar committee with some incredible lawyers on that committee, has authority to issue formal written opinions and letter responses to requests for advisory opinions regarding ethical propriety of professional or personal conduct of bar members. So this is not an immediate service. The Ethics Advisory Opinion Committee generally opines on what they may consider to be novel ethical questions, and it could take between one and three months for that formal advisory opinion to get published and officially issue. However, for those who do have the time to wait, it's a valuable resource. And this is discussed in Rule 11.522, uh, which clarifies that a lawyer's reliance on an ethics opinion that has not been withdrawn at the time that the conduct occurs can provide a safe harbor for that conduct. Now, I believe that is all I have to discuss as it relates to the ethics hotline. We're now going to turn over the time to Matt Page for his portion of the presentation. All right. Thank you, Scotty. That was very informative. Uh, I, too, am going to just share my screen here. Uh, give me just a second. Um, Scott. Yeah, there we go. All right. As Scotty mentioned, the bar has invested uh, considerable time in um, creating a new website. The other, the other website was, was put online shortly after I began working with the bar five years ago. And web design and web optimization changed 
very rapidly and five years is a long time to have the same kind of a website. And so it was time that, that we redid something. And, and so we did, and, and, and we put some effort into, into this, this website. I just want to show you a, a couple of things um, that we've been, we've been talking about. You can see across the top here, it's broken down to, into four attorneys for the public admissions about us. Um, and the four attorneys section, there's the professional development office, which, which basically is the page that Scotty showed you. And this is what's on that page. And there's a lot of really great tools here that can help you in your practice. One of the, the goals of the bar is we want to make it as easy as possible for you to practice law. We want to have the things that we offer easily accessible to you so that you can make use of the resources that, that, are, that are available and hopefully make your professional life as easy as possible. Uh, this, this email button right here goes directly to Scotty. So you have a direct line to her. Um, she probably doesn't like it when her email blows up sometimes, but that's, that's how it is. That goes straight to Scotty. So if you have questions, you can, you can go right there. This practice management section connects to some of the discounts or, or even free services that, that come with your bar dues. Um, Alps is the bar's malpractice insurance provider. They provide considerable discounts on your malpractice insurance. Fastcase is a free legal research engine that, that you have access to as a bar member. Clio, again, you, you can access that. Uh, IOLTA enrollment form, it's all right there on, on, this, on this page. And then you can see there's sample forms and letters and notices and disclaimers, articles, everything that you need to start and, and improve your practice is, is really on this page where I know Scott is excited about this page and, and really the, the bar is excited about this page because so many of our resources are on this page and are available to you. Um, wellness is really a significant thing in the profession right now. The ABA commissioned a report a few years ago that really got this ball rolling and it continues to roll as we, we look to improve the well-being of lawyers in, in a variety of areas. And there's articles here about that. There's, and there's a link to the Lawyers Helping Lawyers Committee, which, which provides connections to other attorneys who may be facing some of the same challenges that you are. And all of that is on, on this page. This little section here about starting your practice guides and checklists. Um, my background is in marketing and advertising. And in 2000, some friends of mine and I, we started an ad agency. And it would have been so nice to have something like this when we started our ad agency to answer some of the basic questions that we had. We had to start from scratch. It was hard. Uh, Scotty mentioned in law school, they don't really teach you much about running a business. And we didn't know any of that either. But here in this little section are answers to all of those kinds of questions as you start your practice. And maybe you work for a big, big firm, but there are resources here as well that can help you. Um, Scotty mentioned the ethics page as well and the ethics hotline. And again, that's under the four attorneys section. The ethics hotline has its own page. It's right here. Again, she showed you this as well. Um, Another link directly to Scotty. Scotty gets a lot of emails. I know she loves that. So reach out to her if you have any questions. Um, this is the frequently asked questions page that she mentioned. This, this is a really great resource for you because these are literally frequently asked questions. See, these are the questions that Scotty gets the most. And their answers are right here with links to the rules. Um, they're all right here in this frequently asked questions section. 
And so as you go through and you see these frequently asked questions, the information that you need is right there and readily available. Another aspect of the ethics part of this page is the ethics opinions are available and they're searchable. So you can you can come here and you can search by text and they're organized in order of their release. And so they go back through um, on this particular page, the opinions page, they go back through 2017 and you can access all of those. Now, eventually all of the ethics opinions will be on this one page, but that requires some conversion and that takes a little bit of time. So let's say you want a really old ethics opinion. To get those, you go to the ethics opinion archive and this goes clear back to 2000, the year 2000, so the turn of the century. So um, that sounds like a really long time ago and actually it's getting to be a really long time ago now, but those opinions are there. You can search them, you can find them, you can read them and, and answer any other questions that, that you have. Um, it's amazing how many opinions there are. It, it, uh, ethics is something that obviously changes a lot, but there's a lot of information there in those opinions that you can search and find and see if your question has already been addressed and answered. Um, just real quickly, you can see all of the links on this page. There's ethics, there's well-being, there's CLE. Didn't want to go to that page yet, but um, there's just all kinds. This is the licensed lawyer page. This is the Utah's bar, Bar's Lawyer Referral Service. This page gets more than a million hits, actually about 1.6 million hits every year and generates nearly 30,000 referrals to Utah attorneys. So if, if you're looking for clients, make sure your licensed lawyer profile is active because that's a great resource to find clients. Again, there's no cost for that. It's included in your bar dues. So, um, but you can see on this page, there's practice management, licensee benefits, CLE, MCLE is here. Everything that you need as an attorney is, is in this for attorneys LPP section. For the public, um, this has the unauthorized practice of law things, concerns about your attorney. There's a link here to the Office of Professional Conduct website, which Diana will talk about in a little bit here. Um, just everything that the public needs. Then the admissions, and this is always a big one. Every year, every June, we get a lot of people that are, are looking to renew their licenses. This, this is the page for that. Pro Hoc Fici, all that stuff is here on the admission page. And then about us, you can find the information about the bar. Uh, the budget is here. Uh, the legislative positions the bar takes is here. Links to the publications, link to the staff. All of that is here on this page. And then finally, I, I want to talk just a little bit about the, um, sorry, not Zoom, you know about that, but the practice portal that the bar provides to members. Um, you, you're probably familiar with this because this is now the only way that you can renew your licenses. This is, is the practice portal of John Baldwin. He's graciously allowed me to log into his practice portal to show you. The great thing about this practice portal is it's totally customizable. You can add portal cards that are important to you. Um, you can see on, on this one, um, we have a link to, to the bar's malpractice insurance provider, Alps. We can make that go away if we want to. Uh, fast cases right here. Green filing is here. Um, you can see these are these are all of John's transactions over the course of the, of the year. That that's available to you. Um, the bar social media feeds. You can load load those on on this practice portal page. You can you can add job postings that you're interested in. 
you can run your billing through here. Um, CLE management, this is a great resource. We're getting a lot of, of, of things right now on CLE. Uh, the, the deadline was just this last week to get that all handled. And you can manage all of that from your practice portal. Um, law pay, you can do your billing. If you have a subscription to Microsoft Office, you can, you can log in here and run that from your practice portal. And again, rule proposed rule changes that are for public comment. There's a link on that or a link to that from the practice portal. So you can have that here and take a look at that as well. Um, there's just so many options and so many things that are available through the practice portal to make your practice of law much easier and much more intuitive. And, and, and that's what we want to do as a bar. We, we want to be able to support you in your practice. And um, that, that's all that I have. So turn it over to Diane now. Thanks, Matt. Um, I'm just gonna talk a little bit about the differences between the Office of Professional Conduct and the services offered by the bar. As some of you may know, or it, we're finding a lot of people haven't heard, the Office of Professional Conduct is no longer part of the bar. Based off the 2017 ABA report, which studied the Office of Professional Conduct and the discipline process, that report recommended that the OBC be broken off from the Utah State Bar to avoid any appearances that lawyers were over-influencing the outcomes of cases to the public. And we still get a lot of complainants who believe that the OPC is in collusion with lawyers. And so to break free of that appearance, uh, the OPC is now separate from the Utah State Bar. And as part of that, we are overseen by an oversight committee appointed by the Supreme Court. Um, also around the time when the changes took an effect, um, I think it was the new rule changes came out in 2020 in December, but a little bit before that, the OPC stopped doing the ethics hotline. Uh, we were having some concerns about the hotline interfering with our ability to prosecute cases and some overlap. And that is when the bar took over all of those duties uh, and manning the hotline. And Scotty has become the lead attorney on that. But so that's kind of a little bit of backdrop of how these changes started coming about. And so the Office of Professional Conduct, our charge is to investigate complaints about attorney misconduct, um, also to investigate complaints about comp uh, misconduct by licensed paralegal professionals, which is a newer project also with the bar. Um, but we also have a duty to give advice, but we, instead of doing it through the ethics hotline, we are now doing it through CLEs mostly. Um, and we've always done CLEs, but the primary difference is we are doing it mostly through CLEs now. Um, so as part of that, we do have an ethics school that is held twice a year. The next one would be March 15th. 
and we kind of call it what you didn't learn in law school. So it's some of the practical applications of the rules, what the system, how the system works, how our office works. Um, also conflicts, there's always a larger discussion about conflicts and how to apply conflicts checks and just some issues you might not have thought about since law school. Uh, also, we do have uh, usually an attorney who does legal malpractice talk about some tips and things to think about as far as malpractice and the ethical rules as part of that ethics school. We also offer a trust accounting school, usually held in January. This year it will be held January 25th or next year, I guess. Um, so that is kind of a nuts and bolts way of how to use your trust account and how the ethical rules apply to the trust account, um, 115. It doesn't get into the nitty gritty of accounting, but it does talk to you about some of the basic concepts of what you need to do to manage your trust account and how to maintain your records and things to keep in mind. It is a good practical tool. Um, I know some attorneys will have their paralegals watch it to help them so that both the attorneys and the paralegals are on the same page when they're running the trust account. It's also very helpful if any attorneys have been in practice for a while, maybe in a larger firm, and now they're going to be doing their own practice or a smaller firm. Often attorneys who start out in larger firms, they don't luckily have to deal with the trust account and all of that. Um, but once you go on your own, there may be things you don't realize or you haven't really thought about in setting up the trust account, how you're going to operate it and how you're going to maintain it and who's going to oversee what duties on that. So trust accounting school is always good for refreshers on those issues or, the, or for those who may be dealing with it for the first time. We also provide CLEs upon request, uh, such as the seminar or Anyone can request a CLE from our office. Uh, we do have that a request form available on the OPC's website. And our website is www.opcutah.org. Um, so there, if you go to the website and there's a tab for attorneys or LPPs and under the tab, there will be a form you can request a CLE from the OPC. We do it on ethics. We do it on professionalism. Uh, we will do it on panels. And we've done it for a small law office. We've also done it for large offices. We've done it for sections or um, county bars. So any group can request that if you are interested in that. We do ask for as much lead time as possible. So um, if it's a week out, we may not be able to fill that. But we do have uh, a number of attorneys in our office. So usually we are able to man it with somebody. Also, we do help with the Ethics Advisory Opinion Committee. I, there's an attorney from our office that is on that committee. I happen to be that person. And as Matt and um, Scotty have talked about the the ethics advisor opinions, they are on the BARS website. The opinions do go beyond 2000. And if you are looking for 
ethics opinions that are older, sometimes you can Google them and they will pop up on Google searches. Also, they are available on Westlaw and Lexis. Um, so until the bar is able to get more of those opinions online, you can always look at those on Lexis and Westlaw. And while there is a safe harbor provision in the rules for the ethics advisory opinions, you do have to be within the four corners of the opinion and attorneys are required to research the history of the opinion and keep in mind that those are opinions. So if a Supreme Court case comes out that overrules the opinion or appellate court case, those would be controlling. So attorneys need to make sure that they research the legal issues um, to see if those opinions have been overwritten also. And maybe it Sometimes it will take the committee a few, a little bit of time to withdraw the opinion. So always do the research first. Um, also keep in mind the opinion committee is a volunteer committee. Um, so as Scotty said, it can take some time to get an opinion and, and be patient with that committee because they do volunteer a lot of hours on that. Um, also the, Consumer Assistance Program is a program through the bar that, and that is currently manned by Janine Timothy, and she will help con consumers or usually clients or people who are trying to talk with their attorney. They may have issues with their attorney that may not rise to the level of an ethical violation or ethical concerns. So, um, for example, fee disputes may be a good place where the consumer assistance program can help out um, attorneys communicating with their clients and kind of explaining the process from both sides. Um, also, communication issues that may not rise to the level of ethical violation. Uh, Janine is good at helping out with that or just about general questions about how attorneys work. Um, and how the legal profession works. So Janine is always available to help with those things. She is a great resource. If she contacts you, we always recommend talk to her because she can head off something that might develop into a bar complaint later. And if you can resolve it with her, it will take far less time in an informal matter, manner that she deals with. She also, um, man's an information department about the office of professional conduct and the discipline system so she can help out attorneys that may have general questions about how the discipline system works or ask general procedural questions and she can answer some of those uh, so she is a good resource if you have questions about those things um, obviously because OPC may be possibly prosecuting a case, we can't advise respondents um, or give them legal advice, but Janine may be able to help out with general procedural questions that people may have. So it's a good um, opportunity to talk to Janine. Also, I just want to touch briefly on the successor planning that Scotty mentioned. Um, that is really recommended for solo practitioners. Um, under rule 1.6, uh, 
attorneys have a duty to keep client information confidential. So when the attorney dies, usually that confidentiality is waived through the fee agreement. But if you don't have a legal partner, when that attorney dies or something unforeseen medical circumstance happens, then really another lawyer may be taking on some liability by accessing client files um, without that authorization. If you know someone that you want to take over your practice temporarily, if you may be have a heart attack, there was an attorney that a young attorney who had a biking accident. He had severe head injuries um, and a solo practice. And so at that point, the OPC had to take over trusteeship on that attorney's practice. But you can designate another attorney to take over your practice and help pass out files in the fee agreement. And so the client is aware that will happen if something happens to you. So that is a good opportunity to think about those things and plan for those things because uh, you just never know what's going to happen. And I think we probably have some questions, so maybe we can do that. Yes, great. Thank you so much to all of you for this. So to start off, Diane, I have a question about the safe harbor provisions and the ethics advisory opinions. Are those opinions still good, even if they're very old, as long as they have not been specifically withdrawn? Because the concern would be someone can't find an opinion on the website, so they Google for the opinion, and they find one that's very old that doesn't specifically say opinion's been withdrawn. So can they rely on that in the safe harbor provisions? It, I personally would not rely solely on that. Again, if it's older, there may be case law out there that uh, supersedes it. There may also be rule changes in the ethical rules. So you can start with the old ethics opinion, but you should always do the legal research um, because it may be out of date and there may be changes in the ethical rules or the case law that would no longer provide a safe harbor. So the ethics opinion will try to label something as withdrawn, but sometimes those labels don't always get out there quickly. Great. Thanks. So um, regarding succession planning, this is something that we started looking at probably around 2012 and the issues all around what happened when there were uh, hurricanes in Texas and Utah lawyers were going to Texas to help out. People's offices were flooded. They lost all of their electronic information. They lost all of their paper files. So the the lessons about having computer backups that are offsite in different locations and having someone designated, those change fairly rapidly and can change fairly rapidly when you look at what is being faced now in Florida with the cases that are going on there and having people need legal assistance and lawyers in the same position as the clients that need help. So I think the succession planning is something that's huge and should be done all the time. But there are considerations that go beyond just having a designee. For instance, if you're using all 
electronics that require a face or a fingerprint or something and you die, how does another person get into that electronic information and how long do they have to save that information and those kinds of things? Um, I was made aware of one attorney who took out a term life insurance policy and designated his paralegal as the beneficiary for the sole purpose of being able to be paid while she co collated the files, got them to the clients, got them out to the people that would need them and helped get the cases reassigned. She wasn't practicing law. She wasn't handling the clients in any way. She was just wrapping up the office work and she didn't have to do it for free because he'd taken the step of getting this term life insurance policy to make sure she could get paid to keep doing this work so it didn't fall on the bar. Because every time there's a problem with succession planning and someone has a catastrophic accident or they die, this all falls on the bar to find someone who will then step in and do it for free. So I, I'm, I'm thrilled that the bar is taking um, affirmative action to get this out there to help people. So that's just sort of my commentary on that. But I have a question about- Hey, Lori. Yes, Matt. Real quick, I don't, if, if people haven't had a chance to see the video that the bar did in conjunction with that, with that uh, practice transition, I'm going to post that in the in the chat. Um, it features uh, Salt Lake Attorney Craig Johnson, who passed away this this last July, and it's it's really a powerful video. So I'm going to put the link to that in the chat. So put it in the Q and A. Okay, I'll put that in the Q and A. Great, thank you, Matt. Um, so I was really intrigued, Scotty, when I read about this the creation of this new office and how the bar was taking steps to sort of deploy existing resources to create better services to our bar members. The bar exists. Everyone thinks the bar just exists for the Office of Professional Conduct to be mean to lawyers. And really the bar does so many behind the scenes services and this is a tremendous service. But what intrigued me was this idea of putting everything under one roof. The ethics hotline, the access to tech uh, advice, the sort of business development ideas. So what really prompted this for you? Great question. So I think honestly, the pandemic was a huge contemplative moment to say, you know, what, how can we be helping our members? How can, as you say, we not... We, we shirk that immediate knee-jerk reaction that folks have about the bar just being a, um, you know, reactionary force, but really this kind of collaborative relationship with members to, to assist in various stages of practice. And it really did um, kind of start during the pandemic of saying, okay, there is an increase in cybersecurity incidents, the ethics of the practice of law are changing really rapidly. And so... I worked with various departments to issue specific guidance on, you know, what does remote remote practice look like? You know, what what do you do? What are your ethical obligations in the event of a cybersecurity attack? And then it kind of blossomed into this research of, okay, what are other state bars doing? And I really have to give a shout out to Nevada, who I mentioned earlier. They have a resource called Handlebar. 
And really, it's not a matter of, you know, doing something huge. It's just getting all of the advice and insight from the various incredible employees of the bar and putting it together. So just having a, a landing page for all of these different things, I think is, is really valuable. And Nevada's handlebar is kind of the template that I used for what are the things that people are going to want to see and they're not going to want to have to go out and research everywhere for it, but where can they just see it all in one place? And so there's just an incredible amount that we could be doing that we are now ready to do. And I'm really excited for all of the things that we have done that have taken several months to, to go live and to launch at the opportune time with our new website, but then excited about all of the new ideas that, that maybe we will do. And of course, the recognition here is that Utah is a relatively small bar compared to other jurisdictions. It, it Nevada is a good model to look at because it's a little bit more comparable than say what the New York bar is doing, what the Florida bar is doing. The New York City bar has a legal ethics podcast and I'm so nerdy as to just love that podcast. Um, but, you know, I mean, being in your feed, having timely issues presented to you, that's the sort of thing that we want to that we want to continue to do. Well, I like the uh, law practice management with the access to forms, because a lot of, as Diane mentioned, attorneys that transition from large firm to solo or small firms or just change from one firm to another can get tripped up on their trust account when they think they're doing it right. And they actually, actually at the end of the day, haven't done anything wrong, but it can be flagged because of the way the trust accounts work. So having everything in a place where people can say, here I have access to the rules, here's the information at my fingertips and I can get help. And it's nice for, the bar, since you're handling this all on your own, Scotty, to be able to access OPC and Matt and the other people that have answers to the questions right there in the same building. So um, I'm curious about the business development side. And you mentioned about, um, Matt, you mentioned about um, having your license ready and being on the bar referral service. Is there a cost to lawyers to be on the bar referral service or there, what are the requirements? Um, there, there really isn't a cost for that. The way that it works is as soon as you pass the bar exam and are admitted to the Utah State Bar, a licensed lawyer portfolio is automatically created for you. Now, if you want that activated, you have to go in and click a button and say, yes, I want to receive new clients. And then you, you create a portfolio for yourself that can include anything you want. Um, some portfolios are really, really involved. They have a picture of the attorney. They have links to their social media. Um, they, they have all kinds of information and ways for potential clients to contact them. And attorneys really have total control over how much information they want to give. They can choose practice areas. They can choose how they bill people, they can choose their fee structure, all of that they can choose in licensed lawyer. And it's really a great way for small firms and sole practitioners to, to, to get clients. And again, it's a free service. There's no cost to that. I just I was preparing a report um, just the other day. And last year in Utah, 
there were more than 30,000 referrals. The exact number escapes me right now. I want to say it was like 33,000 referrals just in Utah from Utah clients to Utah attorneys. And, th and that comes with your bar dues and that that's included. There's no additional cost to that. There's no fee sharing or anything like that. It's just, it's just a free service that, that comes with your, with your dues. So I would encourage attorneys who aren't participating in that, uh, take a look at it. You can log into it through your practice portal. You can log into it directly through that website, licensedlawyer.org, but go in, set up your profile. And you know, if you want to look at a profile that's really well done, um, I've talked to her. She's fine with me using it as an example. Jaylen Jenkins, her profile is awesome. Uh, there's so many ways to contact her. You know, as, as, I've, as I've learned more about this profession, one of the things that I've learned is the most important thing is about your attorney is you want to be able to trust that person and you want to, to almost have a relationship with them where you know you can call them, you know they're looking out for your best interest. And by using licensed lawyer, you can create that right out of the gate. People are so much more comfortable with someone that they know something about. They can look at a picture. They can see, oh, she's got a social media account. They have different ways to contact them. So if there's any attorney that's looking for clients and not on licensed lawyer, make sure you go in and access that licensed lawyer profile and activate it. And if you have questions, feel free to reach out to me. I'd be happy to walk you through it, help you get it set up. Um, I'm on the staff page on the website. Feel free to email me anytime. So be happy to help get anybody set up on that. So is it true that you have to have malpractice insurance to participate on that? No, there is a question that asks, do you have malpractice insurance? And you can select yes or no, or choose not to answer it, but you're going to show up in the searches either way. Um, a few years ago, the bar commissioned a, a study from a, a research company here in Salt Lake. And that's one of the questions that we ask people is how important is it for your attorney to have malpractice insurance? And the number was about 73, 73%. Um, so, so it's pretty significant not to have malpractice insurance, but it's not required to be on licensed lawyer. You don't need malpractice insurance to participate in that. So what kind of tech support does the bar offer? Does it offer um, suggestions about products? And does it like yes, on, on, endorse on the those? On the bar's website, there's there's a section there um, that and it's kind of in flux right now because we're changing the way it's presented. The list is actually too long, but yeah, it is. Um, and I'm going to have to go back to the page because I can't remember what it's called. But it it is um, it's under licensee benefits on the under the four attorneys slash LPPs menu, um, and you can go under business partners. And there's a list of tech firms and other firms that that are kind of like official sponsors of the Utah State Bar. We have agreements with them in many cases that, that provide services for discounts to Utah attorneys. In some cases, the services are free. In others, it's a discounted service. So th those are some of the things, again, that are included in your bar membership. So besides that tech assistance, can they call the bar and say, hey, my computer crashed, I need help, or is that not included in... That, that really isn't included in, in, in the bar services. And the reason for that is there's so many different systems out there. Now, if you're having a problem with the practice portal or you see a dead link on the website, definitely reach out to us and we, we can help with those kinds of things. Um, but other than that, we, we really don't provide 
uh, IT services for, for other systems or systems that are offsite and not connected with the bar. Okay. So, Scotty, um, is the Office of Professional Development up and running? Is it still in flux? What's the, the status? It's here. We are hoping that this is not just a one and done operation. We want to continue adding things to that site. Um, you know, my former role with the bar was associate general counsel, and I oversaw our licensed paralegal practitioner program. We've now hired another staff member to oversee the LPP and new lawyer training program. So I'm able to devote my time now as a split to ethics and this office. Um, and so, you know, we, we call it an office, but really it's, it's a resource. And in the coming months, I plan to be even more creative about how to spread the word. We're grateful to have this opportunity to spread the word and we're devising new solutions to just make sure that people are aware of what the offerings are. And again, want to continue to build that out in the coming months. Great. Well, thank you all so much. I can't tell you how pleased I am. I, I always think the bar offering services is one of the best public facing things we can do because it reassures lawyers about how the bar is working to help them. But it also reassures the public that the bar is proactively taking steps to ensure that that clients of legal services are getting the best legal services they can. And we graduate, both, both schools graduate great attorneys. And to have that partnership with the bar to do the practice management, those kinds of things is a tremendous service. So, so thank you for that. And thank you for participating on this program. Thank you to all of you who watched. We are doing two in November. There will be one on November 11th about it will be part three of the changing Utah legal market on the small boutique firm perspective. And there will be one on November 18th on the U.S. Supreme Court decision, Taylor versus Taylor, which deals with arbitration and family law cases. So I hope to see many of you at our future webinars. And thank you so, so much to the panel for participating today. See everyone soon.